Hello and welcome to the Limerick Community Voices podcast presented by Limerick Public Participation Network. The PPN is a network of community voluntary, social inclusion and environmental organisations working to improve the lives of people in Limerick City and County. Limerick Public Participation Network enables the community to be represented in decision-making processes such as Limerick City and County Council committees and local public consultation processes. We believe that by working together we can better share ideas and information, amplify our voices and help create a better Limerick for all. To find out more and to get involved with the PPN, please visit limerickppn.ie or email us at ppn at limerick.ie. We would love to hear from you. This podcast brings you the voices of some of the many great people involved in the PPN. In each episode, we learn a little about each guest, how they got started in the work they are doing and their thoughts on making a difference in the community. Without further ado, let's join our host, Rory McKiernan, for this episode of the Limerick Community Voices podcast. Hello, Rory here, and I'm delighted to be a guest host of this episode of the podcast. In it, we hear from John Lannan. John is the CEO of Durris, which is a Limerick-based national refugee and migrant rights organisation. Now, let's jump right in and get started with this conversation with John Lannan. John Lannan, CEO of Durris, uh, you're very welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm well, Rory. Thank you. So we're here in Durris HQ in the centre of Limerick. And as always, it's bustling, full of life, people from all over the world, lots of languages, nationalities and issues as well being brought to the table. And I just before we started, had a conversation with one of the team here who's from Ukraine and we got talking about what's going on there. And it just reminded me how real the work is and how raw it can be as well. And but on the other hand, I'm hearing laughter coming from the kitchen. And, do you know, it's almost like the light in the dark all at once. It's an amazing building for a start. Yeah, um, we're a busy organisation and I think it's been busy for the last 22 years since it was first set up as a response to people arriving from other parts of the world in Limerick. And the name even says Open Door, you know, the Irish for for door. Um, And for a lot of people, we possibly are the only door that's open for them. It does get frustrating for us sometimes. We get angry about the the difficulties that people are facing. But on the other hand, you know, we, we have a good team together. We, we support each other through this as well as supporting all of the people that come into us. Yeah, that's one of the things that I, I find particularly um, appealing about Doris is that um, it's, there's a kind of a, I don't know if you'd use the word family or community, but there's a warmth about it. It's like there's a real camaraderie kind of sense of one one of our staff members who was in Doris um left Doris came back to Doris um says that you never really leave Doris and and we have a lot of friends a lot of people who worked with us over the years that we'd still be in contact with we've a lot of um clients that we'd have come across over the years that we're still in regular contact with as well and they often pop in we often have people leaving food into us for lunchtime as as well as mm. as a gesture of thanks for the support and the work that we've we've done for them it's um yeah it, it because like in lots of 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 areas that are you know, w- working with people who are vulnerable, who are at risk. It's challenging for, for staff here in our direct support work. So we have to be mindful of that with each other as well. And we have to ensure that we do look out for each other as well as looking out for the people that come into us. Yeah, it's a, it's a really important point. And um, I like that idea that, you know, there's a continuity of people that have come before and people that will come again and re- return in that it obviously is a, a credit to the organization that the culture is very strong as well and there's an investment in that and um, I, I actually had a little anecdote and um, this morning when my phone broke and I 
I went to um, a phone store. I'll give it a plug, actually. <laughs> it's, it's, it's across the border in County Clare. It's in uh, iPair in Ennis. So I went in there and I got chatting to Mo and uh, Mo was fixing my phone and we got chatting away and it turns out he, he's originally from, well, actually I didn't get talking about where he was originally from. He was, he suddenly asked me, you know, uh, where was I off to today? And I said I was going into Doris and he he just lit up and he said, oh, Doris, I know Doris. And um, so it turns out he's originally from Iraq. He moved here as a young man and uh, his grew up in Dublin, moved to the West, but he periodically brings families from Ennis into Doris to help when there's translation issues or looking for information on rights or entitlements and so on. So um, obviously, you know, the, the organisation goes beyond Limerick as well and it goes into Clare, but na- increasingly nationally as well. Yeah, it 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 is um, a national organisation or we are, I should say, a national organisation. It started kind of, I guess, with um, a very strong local focus and emphasis. And, you know, it was an organisation that was kind of rooted in communities, communities of of new kind of people arriving in Limerick, you know, Mm. and that would mean people in direct provision centres would have contacts with like Sudanese communities or Congolese groups and, and so on. And that that has actually remained. We still have that and we still feel it's really important to be connected into the communities that we're supporting and, you know, taking a human rights based approach and ensuring that we can find ways to help those communities and those groups to advocate on their own behalf so that it's not just us that's out there claiming their rights. Um, but then when it comes to the advocacy and the campaigning and, and so on, we, we are a national organisation as well. Um, so we're part of the Ukraine Civil Society Forum that's operating nationally at the moment, for example, and we'd be one of the leading organisations in that. We've also got a couple of projects that are very national in their um, their outlook and, and in their um, reach. So we have an online education platform called Sered that has about... 2,200 learners scattered all over the country. We have a migrant victim support project that's national as well. So we're supporting people who are victims of domestic, sexual, gender-based violence or of trafficking. Um, We're supporting people who are um, victims of racism or hate crimes. Um, and, And each of these projects on its own could be our entire work. So what we've ended up doing is we're, we're balancing a lot of things. Um, it, it still works for us. There, mm. There's a coherence around what we do. Yeah. It's all connected, but it does keep us busy. Yeah, there's a big, I suppose, like any organization, the need is so vast and, and you can grow exponentially. And then you have all these projects. And I suppose one of the things I was surprised to learn is, you know, that you don't necessarily have core funding either. And, that, and that's that's an issue for many organizations. You're, you're constantly trying to chase your tail and balance the books and all that kind of thing. It is. Unfortunately, in, in the sector we're in, um, and I guess in lots of parts of the community and voluntary sector, most of the funding is project-based funding. So it may cover salaries for a specific period of time, maybe for three months, six months, a year, two years, yeah. but it's finite. You know, it'll cover project costs as well. It, it will cover certain amount of of overheads and administrative costs but we are as you said always chasing our tail it would be lovely now we we have um you know philanthropic support that um as close as we get to core funding um it supports our direct support work 
enables us to continue to do what we do in O'Connell Street in, in mm. Limerick. Um, mm. But the advocacy bit is always difficult to um, to, to um, cover. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. Um, so, and like, like the fundraising is 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 a huge challenge. And, and like, where do you see the potential for an organisation like Doris? In, well, in know, terms of the funding, in and, terms of funding, yeah. well, you know, we're, I guess, we're, we're national in many respects, and we get funding from kind of national organisations or institutions like the Community Foundation for Ireland. Mm. But we're also also really grateful for the local support we get from um, the the JP McManus um, fund, um, and we were really pleased that when it comes to the broad area of integration that essentially we're working towards you know a lot mm-hmm. of what we do is about rights and ensuring everybody's rights are respected and protected but it's also about social cohesion mm-hmm. and you know, that is really important to limerick it's important mm-hmm. to the jp mcmanus fund it's um it, and and it's relevant for everybody in the community and in society there are funds that are available kind of from time to time to to supplement that so one that we're grateful to having received money for most recently is the department of children's integration fund that allows mm-hmm. us to do an additional piece of of work relating to to integration specifically for mm-hmm. people who are international national um, protection applicants um, but you know we, we have projects kind of here there and everywhere now this morning um, we had a meeting on another really interesting project that we're just getting underway which is funded by the Irish Human Rights and Equality Commission and that's essentially to provide human rights education for um, people from refugee and migrant backgrounds because for us um, in order to enable people to participate in the decisions that, that affect their lives, information needs to be accessible, you know, and very often it's it's not. But as a first step for mm. people to be able to self-advocate and to, um, you know, to, to say what their needs are and, and to articulate kind of their perspectives and, and, and to shape the society that they're living in, um, they, they need to have that information. So we are working on that at the moment, thanks to that little mm. um, fund from, from IREC. So it's it's about piecing bits together and, and mm. making the, the whole work effectively, which I hope we are doing. Yeah, and, and then that in turn leads to a more sort of, uh, a more harmonious and integrated um, city, county, country. And like we see walking down the streets of Limerick or, or many streets around the country that were increasingly a multicultural country. But there has been, at least in my view, a, a lack of focus and investment at a national level. And it's it feels to me that an organization like Doris or Doris in particular are kind of a leading light in this area and that Doris have a lot to maybe teach people or inspire others on a national level. And I'd like to think well, I suppose we're neither of us are Limerick born and bred, but there's definitely a distinct pride in Limerick. And I get a sense that Doris is part of that pride, as in people of Limerick really embrace Doris, don't they? Yeah. Um, and we, we've had good structures in place in Limerick um, over the years. There's an integration working group in place and has been for, for many years that was um, a basis for the integration um, strategy that that Limerick has. So we're we're at the end of the third integration strategy now, looking at developing the fourth one. Um, And 
kind of under that umbrella, there's a lot of good stuff going on. The, the Limerick Community Response Forum um, that's operating to support people from Ukraine meet, meets regularly and there's good information flow and sharing there. Um, we're involved on a couple of, of projects with Limerick City and County Council. One, for example, is on um, called Integrate. It's, it's looking at integration strategies across Europe and you know, to be fair, Limerick, kind of as a municipality or as a local council, were one of the first ones to put their hands up and saying, yes, we'll, we'll participate in that, even though partners in other parts of Europe were having difficulty getting their municipalities to, to take part. There's another really interesting one that we're working on as well now called Salem, which is possibly, as Minister was saying at a, meet, at, at a meeting yesterday morning, is possibly one of the best acronyms around for a project. It's Sustainable Alliances Against Anti-Muslim Hate. And, and that's exactly what it is that we're, we're working on. Again, with the council and with a couple of other cities in, and, mm-hmm. and um, organisations around Ireland. So that, that interagency partnership collaboration approach is, is critical to Doris and to everyone, really. Um, and I suppose that, that leads us in maybe as a segue to the PPN. Obviously, Doris is a member of the PPN and it's yet another kind of forum and structure and facility for groups to come together and also perhaps have a common voice on issues. Yeah, I mean, as I said, participation is is really important for everybody in society and for every organisation and for every group to be able to have their voice heard, to be able to articulate their needs, to articulate their perspectives, to and and having a network in which those voices are represented, which is what the PPN is is about, is mm-hmm. is really important. You know, we're. Um, you know, pleased to be participating as Doris and, you know, we, we know that over the years that, you know, we can encourage and we can help other kind of organisations and groups like, for example, a Sudanese com- community or, or, or others to participate as well. And we know that the PPN is a mechanism that will be sort of open and, and available for that to, to happen mm. as well. Mm. I suppose it's in so many ways I keep uh, seeing this imagery of it's really a lot of it's about joining the dots and and you know information providers health agencies social sector politicians because these aren't like silo issues that you know you're not the migrant rights organization and you'll take care of everything it does require sports organizations music and the arts everybody to get involved and be part of the change yeah it, it is because yeah, what what we're about is is largely about eliminating discrimination. It's about um, working towards integration that works, and and that's a process that involves everybody. And we've we've got to eliminate barriers right across the board. So we've got to eliminate it across all of the statutory service providers. We've got to do it across the the private sector, across all all organisations, um, and. I think for most organizations and, and most parts of society are probably on a journey when it comes to, to integration. Are, are you being overly diplomatic point? there now uh, when you say... Some are at different <laughs> points than others on yeah. that, on that so, journey. So they have a lot more work to do. And, and one mm. of the things that we can do through some of the training that we do and some um, other parts of our work is that we, we, we can help, you know, with yeah. this. You know, yeah. there, there's yeah. a time when things need to be called out, but there's also times when we need to just work constructively with, yeah. with others. yeah. Speaking of that sort of idea of, you know, having to call out things and and, and campaign and speak out, you know, it's not necessarily an easy thing to do um, sometimes because it it can 
cause you know friction or tension um, but at the same time it's critical that organizations remain independent and have the ability to speak out when necessary because often the funding or the other dynamics can prevent people speaking out so Doris seems to have managed to kind of thread that in a such a way that you you do and can speak out yeah and, and I guess taking a human rights based approach allows us to have clarity around that because, you know, legality is one of the, the five key principles when it comes to, to that approach. And we can look at a, a situation, you know, we can provide information to an individual, we can um, make referrals for, for an individual, or we can advocate on their personal behalf. And sometimes that advocacy is successful. We learn from that and we may then be able to highlight something that wasn't working when it comes to one of the, the service providers. Um, sometimes it doesn't work. And then when it doesn't work, we have to ask ourselves, first of all, where the deficiency is or what exactly was um, going wrong in terms of people's mm -hmm. um, rights being respected and protected. Um, and we, we would we feel then as an organization, you know, it is very often up to us to take the issue further and, and to see what needs to be done to um, address the deficiency or to, to have redress and to learn from, from the mm, situation mm. and to make sure that the, the individuals or the families that were mm. um, have, having a particular difficulty are taken out of that situation yeah. and that they're able to get on with their lives. So when we talk about um, barriers, challenges, difficulties that, that people might be um, experiencing or affected by, can you, can you give me some examples of the type of things that come onto your desk or onto the team's desk on a daily basis? So there, there's lots of, of different things, the sorts of issues that we face are kind of right across the spectrum, which we'd have on the immigration front, we'd have people you know who are um want support with um applications for for family reunification for example they may have come through the international application process and want to be if if they've been granted refugee status they need to be able to bring their family here maybe making applications for visas to, to bring family members it might be for um assistance with um, an application for citizenship um and and those things are that that's one part of like the 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 daily work of kind of the mm. um the, the meat of what we do um then we've got issues relating to access to social welfare we'd have access to health services mental health is one and and we know there's there's a dearth of of mental health supports and services in the country anyway but mm. like with so many aspects of um our services in Ireland, people from a refugee and migrant background are most disadvantaged when it comes to accessing what, what is available. Mm, um, mm. Sometimes they don't even know of the, the services. Sometimes they're just not accessible. Um, then as a result, maybe linked to mental health or, or for other reasons, we'd have people who are homeless and trying to navigate that process then to ensure that people have a roof over their head um, is, mm. is one that we, we would meet on a, on, a, on a quite regular basis. So there's, there's quite a range of issues that that we'd um, you know we'd, we'd come across um, I think you know I, I'm just struck by the fact that over the last couple of weeks we've probably had a number of, of issues relating to homelessness and to, to housing and and again we, we find that um, 
people who are tenants, you know, who, who may not um, be aware of their rights or who may have found themselves in situations where they had to take the first option that was available to them, um, you know, are, are, are being exploited very often, are living in really terrible conditions that we feel people should not be living in. Mm. You know, we've, mm. we've, we've, we've gone to places where that's happening and we've been astonished at how bad the the standard of accommodation that people are are, are living in and and we know and again this is like with you know i'd have to emphasize it again that you know these are not issues that are unique to people for, from a refugee or migrant background but you know the people that we support are particularly vulnerable mm. and and are, are most at risk when it comes to discrimination or to exploitation Mm. And and I suppose uh, sticking on the topic of accommodation and housing more broadly, um, we obviously have now 22 years of the direct provision system and the commitment to end it by 2024, which now is almost certainly in doubt or gone. Um, and, you know, for, for different reasons, but the, the fact that there are several thousand people in direct provision still that are can leave now but have nowhere to go so it's almost like a perfect storm in so many areas of the sector, isn't it? It, it is. And, you know, we have to acknowledge, first of all, the huge strain that the state has been under over the last eight months or so in, to, to provide accommodation for, for more people. Um, when I say the state, I'd have to say it's the Department of Children that have been left with the, the burden of this. A year ago, there were I think about seven and a half thousand people in direct provision. Right now, the state is providing accommodation for over 50,000 people, either from um, Ukraine as beneficiaries of temporary protection or um, arriving as a result of war and persecution and so on in, in other parts of the world. And that that certainly is a huge challenge. Um, they They've been in crisis response mode since February, trying to, to respond to that. Um, the challenge came on top of an existing housing crisis that mm. we have in the country. We have um, nowhere near enough social and affordable housing here mm. in Ireland. There, there's a lot of work that needs to mm. be done in that area. But in the shorter term, there's also a lot of work that needs to be done to provide homes for homeless Irish people and to provide homes for people from Ukraine mm. and for international protection applicants from other parts of the world. Yeah. And, and right now we have, I mean, it's, wor it's worth noting that we have um, close to 100 people living in tents in, in Naklishin, just out the road from us here, wow. um, who are asylum seekers. And we're, we're and in mid-November here. coming as, into a cold, yeah, we dark, wet winter mm. and mm. we don't have or see any prospect of them being moved out of that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of a harrowing prospect because many of us have read or heard the testimonies of um, Hungarian refugees, you know, many decades ago and the terrible experience they had in tents and camps in Ireland and many of them wanted to leave. And here we are, you know, 50 years or more later and we're still dealing with tents. And as you said, some of it's kind of understandable at one level, but on the other level, the country still has plentiful resources it's it's kind of comes down to a distribution of those resources and and it's not refugee ag competing against the the limerick born person you know that it, it it's about I, I suppose what i'm getting at is that there seems to be like a, a lack of big picture thinking here because we're talking about joined up thinking at a local level 
but there seems to be something new or different or radically different needed nationally as well. I'd, I'd, I'd like to see us learning more from history and from recent history, you know, and we um, have, I suppose, to some extent here in Ireland had to, you know, been forced to face up to the, the appalling um, situations we had with the Magdalene Laundries, the mother and um, child homes and, and so on. Um, I've seen photographs from Nakhlesheen and those, those refugees and kids kind of looking through wire fences and, you know, I'd shake my head and kind of wonder like that. How, 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 how did we think that was OK? Um, but right now I'm also thinking about how we'll probably look in 20 or 50 years time at the people in the tents in Nakhlesheen looking out through the crack into, of, of, of light into the rain and say, how did we allow that to, to happen? And why, why did you, or how did we think that was okay? Um, and, and what's, I suppose, frustrating in, in many respects is that, generally speaking, you know, people who were aware of issues like direct provision are appalled by it and say that this is not how we should treat people. But being able to get that up to the level of priority that it deserves at a national level so that the right action is is taken is is still hugely problematic and this is part of our job as well i suppose as doris is to continue to do that advocacy and to make those points and and we will continue to do that until such time as there is change as you say there was a commitment from the present government to end direct provision Certainly circumstances kind of diverted that with COVID, first of all, then the arrival of so many people from Ukraine. But um, I think we, we, we do need to see kind of a revised plan around that. We need to be hearing from our government as to what they're going to do if they believe direct provision was wrong. You know, we accept that they can't end it by December 2024. But we need to see them continuing to honour that commitment and say we'll do it in this way mm. rather than the way that we had previously envisaged. Mm. How do you, at a personal and a professional level, balance the, the huge volume of activity, the demand, the need, and then maybe a sense of frustration or at times perhaps anger or sadness or, you know, how, how do you keep it all together and, and just keep the show on the road? Um, I... I actually find the, um, the the diversity of the the work or or how how different every day is in in many respects um, something that keeps me going. I've been in jobs before where I I'd say I, I got bored fairly quickly because I was doing the same thing day after day, and once I thought I'd figured out how to do it well, I didn't want to do it anymore. Um, I certainly haven't figured out what needs to be done, kind of in all the issues that we're mm. working on in Doris, but every, every day brings new challenges. Every day probably brings us to some point over the course of the hours we're in here where we're kind of saying, what do we need to do about this? What's the best way mm. to respond? Mm. Mm. And you know, we, we, we think about it, we, we try to make the best decisions on a day-to-day -day basis with you know, the fairly limited resources that, that we have and within mm. the constraints of, of what we do. And we, we just continue to try to, you know, be of, be of value, be of, be of kind of use within society. And I think when you get that kind of encouragement sort of collectively or, or individually mm. that that 
that's important, mm. you know, um, and that that does keep us going. Because and we have to remind ourselves sometimes, like, and we do have conversations sometimes where we say, like, this is ridiculous. This mm. this we we don't seem to be able to do anything about X or Y. But then we kind of stop and say, right, okay, let's think about this in a different way. If there's a problem with people getting access to their um, you know, to, to their rights or to the services that, that they need. Is there another way that we can advocate on their behalf or, uh, you know, is, is there something different that we can that we can do? We also find ourselves just working to ensure that we, we recognise the, the, the value and the dignity of every person that comes in the door. And when it comes to, you know, we, we may have people that are just short of of bread for the table for a day or urgently need money for for a new coat or something and um you know while while we're not an organization that's flush with resources or or it's not really what kind of all of what we're about we still need to be able to find a way to ensure that that person is safe that they have their coat or that they have the bread for the table Yeah, that that collective sensibility, I think, uh, it seems to be really, really important. Uh, the sense that, like, you, we started off talking about Doris as a community, but like the fact that I asked you, you know, how do you essentially how do you stay upbeat and motivated and everything? But it's not just about you; it's about everyone rowing together and lifting each other up. And I get the sense of like almost like a movement as such at a you know at a at a, at a smaller level. Uh, but it's part of a wider movement of change where people believe in change and they are committed to change. The other thing I, I would have noticed as well in uh, connecting with perhaps some of the team or the volunteers or the people that come to Doris, um, you you can get very much inspired by their resilience and their courage uh, to keep going. And, and we're talking often about refugees have been through the worst of times that we, you and I may never please God, never experience, you know, yeah. and uh, it, it's kind of humbling at some level. It, it is. And, and it's really important for us to be connected into the communities so that even though our life experiences aren't the same as the, the people we support in, in many cases, you know, we, we do also have people from different backgrounds on our staff. We have people, you know, who, who have lived experience themselves of the challenges and the difficulties faced either in direct provision or living in really difficult conditions in within, within society. And, you know, we, we all need to learn from each other. And I think that's something that, um, you know, when, when you work in an organisation like Doris, you know, there's, there's stuff to be learned every day of the week, you know, from each other, from... You know, the people that come in the door to us that have come from different parts of the world that have had different life experiences. And that that that's how we get better, I think, as individuals, as an organization, but as as a society, because we will all change and, and we, we have to change. And that's one of the keys to integration, you know, that um, in some respects, you know, migrants change kind of individually and collectively when they come to Ireland. The host sort of society has to change and adapt as well. Um, you know, new identities get, get formed. We, we, we learn from that. We, we have to embrace the richness that, 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 that comes with, with all of that. And, and we just have to kind of learn from each other kind of what's, what's appropriate and what's kind of the right way to, to treat each other. 
you know, there's lots of stuff written as well, like in terms of, there's loads of theory, there's loads of, you know, um, best practices, it's, mm. as it's always referred to. But very often it just comes down to being decent human beings and listening to each other and learning from each other. Yeah, I, I see that. And, and, and like sort of seeing migration and change as something that essentially humanity have always has always done. It's, you know, the 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 your origins of Ireland of people migrated here from all sorts of all over Europe and so on and and different waves of migration and this is a new wave and um, but but at the same time like change can unsettle and upset some people and then there are those that will exploit that sort of sense of change and inject a, a fear-based approach into it so I suppose I'm mindful of that 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 is out there and we can't necessarily shy away from it as well yeah and and it comes from that place of, of fear and insecurity very often because there are a lot of people across Irish society and across society all, all over the world that are um, that are in poverty, that are, you know, having their rights um, denied in, in, in different ways. They're, they're angry. They want to try and figure out what they can do to change the situation. They might have a impulsive kind of reaction against others that are seen to be or they think are are, are doing better than they are. Um, I think there's a lot of that is 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 natural from from human beings. Um, I think then you know there's an obligation on on leaders within communities, whether they're church leaders or they're politicians, you know, to respond um, constructively to that. And the problem, as you say, is that we've got some people um, who are just waiting for the opportunity to exploit that and to use it essentially for their their own very um, dubious and 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 very damaging kind of um, reasons. You know, we we have we have people in the far right. We have we have individuals and we have small groups around the country that are looking at every opportunity to destabilize and to damage um, communities and, and society. Um, I'm regularly baffled as to why, you know, individuals want to do that, but it, it, it happens and we have to be able to respond to that. And we have to make sure that the, the decency that's there within most people is, is what comes to the fore. And they're not um, distracted by misinformation and, you know, dangerous rhetoric. Yeah, it's it's a it's a big it's not just a, a, a national issue either. It's it's very much a global one at the moment. And I suppose we're living in very uncertain times, particularly when we consider um, climate change and, you know, which inevitably feeds into mass migration then as well. So it's it's almost like we need a, a complete reimagining of the entire sort of political and economic order to one that is more human centric and, and planet centric and basically sort of rather than going down this great doom road that we this could be a new beginning for humanity in some ways. Yeah, I, I've been reading a bit over the last few days about um, rethinking security because and, and, and looking at kind of that as a lens and what's happening sort of in the world today, because there's a lot of discourse around 
global international security around national security. We talk about securitization of the borders of Europe and of of, of, of different states, of, of stopping, you know, flows or floods of, of migrants and refugees. We, you know, phrases like refugee crisis, you know, are, are, are used. But we, we don't think enough about ecological security or just the, the well-being of the planet. We certainly don't think enough about human security and individual security and the, the, the well-being of the, the people whose lives have been disrupted by wars and conflict, by climate change, by, um, you know, and, and by the huge investments in militarization, you know, so alongside all of what's happening, you know, with the destruction of the the planet through through what's happening to, to the climate and, and what the Western world is largely causing. You know, we're, we're continuing mm. globally to produce billions, trillions of dollars worth or euros worth of weapons mm. that have to be used somewhere. Mm. And as a result of that, we find ourselves with conflicts like Ukraine, where they... they the response seems to be to throw more and more weapons into a situation from which people are already trying desperately to escape from because their lives and their, um, you know, and everything about them is is hugely at risk. So does this sort of speak to the need for uh, a new level? Like, because at a national level, we're talking about systemic change, housing, accommodation, ending direct provision, so on. Uh, but it's almost like we need a new global pact of some description. And, you know, obviously there's the COP summits and there's there's UN structure. But even in, in recent decades, the UN has been in some ways neutralized in its its agency, you know. So, like, obviously, you know, we could carry on and, and Doris could carry on with its good work without even thinking about all these issues. But at the same time, it almost would be... Uh, it would be negligent to not think about the bigger picture. Absolutely. I mean, we're, as an organisation, I guess, responding to um, some of the human consequences of the problems that exist in the world today. You, you know, the, the people that have arrived in Ireland are doing so as a result of the ongoing conflict. And the, we've got people that have been displaced from conflicts in other parts of the world, from persecution, from... Um, despotic regimes from um, just the fact that they can't farm the land anymore and there's nothing for them in, in their in, in, in their own countries. And we, we've got to look at this in its entirety. Um, going right kind of to, you know, to the top, you know, we find that the UN Security Council, which should be one of the sort of watchdogs of that um, global kind of, order or, or well-being of kind of you know protecting humanity from others isn't working well these times you know we we have what are becoming talking shops like cop now we're on cop mm. 27 cop 28 will probably roll around without very little having changed since the one that's in egypt at the moment um and yeah we we've, we've got to address that because one of the problems Sometimes that that I reflect upon is that if, as an organisation, we in Doris just continue to resp only respond to the consequences of the climate crisis and war, you know, we'll just have to get busier and busier and take on more and more people and and become, you know, 
you know, hundredfold bigger organization. And that's not what we should be about. Yeah, we, we, yeah. we need to, you know, we need to change. We need to be part of the change that's happening in the world so that people are not in the situations they're in in Limerick mm. or in any other part of the mm. globe. So speaking of that, uh, that sort of potential change for Doris in the future, um, obviously, you know, you could grow at a multiple rates so of you could have 100 new staff next week if, if someone provided the funds uh, and it'd still be plenty of work for them. Uh, what, what would you feel uh, your, your vision for Doris is and where would you like it to go and grow? Yeah, it's... It's a tough one to answer. You know, I, I think the, the glib answer is that I want us to be more effective. And then when you drill down into that and we, we wonder, think about what does that actually mean? Does it mean doing more of what we're doing now? Does it mean doing different stuff, you know, perhaps in addition to what we're doing now? Um, it, it could mean both of those. I, I think... Um, there's going, going back to something we were talking about a little while ago about the the support that we provide to each other and that almost like family kind of um, feeling that you sometimes get here within the organization. There is there is an energy in that and, and there's there's an effectiveness and, and we, you know, efficiency, if we want to talk about it, that comes from that. And I think that's that's important and mm. it's important to preserve that. You know, I think we we can also recognize and respect the fact that there are lots of other organizations that are doing great work. And it comes back to just, you know, collaboration, working together through the, the networks, through mechanisms like the PPN to to work effectively together rather than sort of all of us trying to do everything. There yeah, is a, there is a phrase "boil the ocean," isn't there? Which I don't like. So it's probably you don't want to do that. <laughs> not not in the context of climate change, but <laughs> like yeah, no, there is that. Um, I suppose there's always the risk of you know overwhelm in any kind of community based work, and um, it's important to just kind of keep grounded, keep perspective, and being surrounded by good people and and staying true to your mission and your vision, and keeping that culture strong. And it definitely seems. Uh, that that is the case here in Doris because I can hear the, the bustle of activity behind me in the building here and uh, as I said to you earlier the, the laughter from the kitchen and then downstairs there's obviously there's critical work going on in, in confidential work that I may never find out about and uh, it's to balance all of those things and, and keep on doing it. It, it is and, and I think it's, it's really important for any organization or group to know what they're about what matters to them what's important and so i think those the core values of the organization you know we've been around for 22 years it was set up um, initially by very passionate people from faith-based organizations who um basically started off and said something needs to be done so we're going to do it and and we 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 preserve the core values, the, the, the approach that, that we're taking, you know, the way we do things has changed dramatically over the years. That's fine that that has to happen in an organization, but you've also got to understand what, what matters. And for us, it's, it's, it's about, it's human rights. It's, it's human dignity. It's, um, you know, it, it's about everybody, mm. but our particular focus is on refugees and, and migrants because there, there are particular challenges and particular needs there. 
Well, we'll leave it at that, John. We could talk all day, but uh, definitely want to thank you for your time and wish you continued success with the great work. Thanks, Rory. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Limerick Community Voices podcast by Limerick Public Participation Network. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. To find out more about the Limerick PPN and to get involved, visit limerickppn.ie or email us at ppn at limerick.ie. We would love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening.